Hey, this is Brent Leary, and I know I've been doing a lot of videos from conferences, and most cases, those conferences have been in Vegas. I'm so glad to say <laughs> I am not in Vegas. I'm in Denver, Colorado. It's really sunny, and it looks great, and the conference is really interesting, too. It's Genesis Experience, and with me right now is Marine Dubuis. CMO of Genesis. Thank you for joining me. You're very welcome. Thanks for being here. It's been two years since we last talked. Uh, tell me about everything that's happened in those two years. Everything. <laughs> was, okay. Uh, the uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. We don't have enough time to do that. All right. There are some, that. I think there are some mega trends that happened to crystallize in a, uh, in a in a much bigger way than they were two years ago. I remember two years ago, I felt that we were at the beginning of the AI explosion and. Uh, Although I still think it's on the hype cycle somewhere, it's clearly that, that this is happening, right? The, you can't do a convention or a conference or visit a webinar without having the word AI somewhere. Right. So, uh, so that totally happened. So two years ago we talked about it, some people laughed about it, uh, but now it's real. And uh, that's probably the mega trend that, that came to the fore. And it's also, it seems like two years ago, there was these things, people were just starting to talk about chatbots hmm? and conversational interfaces and how they were beginning to impact uh, customer experience. Uh, two years later, what do you see now? So the, the funny thing is that uh, I was talking to one of the analysts yesterday and I explained that we did a uh, speech bot uh, conversational application in 1995. So the technology has been around for a long, long time. And uh, funny enough, most of it is rule-based, by the way, and it's not rule-based anymore. In the past it was. Uh, so what we're seeing is the, the, the transfer from just rule-based systems that can only apply their logic to a certain scenario to AI-based systems that everybody wants to solve everything. And I think that's where the crux sits a little bit, right? So we see uh, actually a lot of decent rule-based systems that do a specific thing rather well. And then we see the, the, the coming of age of AI and machine learning in that same domain to create conversations that go beyond what a normal rule-based system would be able to do. I think the combination of the two, by the way, is probably the best way forward, but we see the rise of the second part uh, part happening right now. And I call it being on the top of the hype cycle because we see a lot of, of bad implementations, bespoke mm -hmm. implementations, incredibly funny, hilarious mistakes. Uh, I enjoy being in this industry because I've never laughed so loud. <laughs> and, uh, I think that's an important part as well, right? But we are getting there. We are seeing people that are learning how to understand what they're getting on board when they start investing in machine learning and allowing that to learn from itself in the conversation it's having. We're actually doing our own test here, right? We have Kate, our mobile, uh, our visual, our virtual assistant, running on our mobile app, and we put her here untrained. And we're just waiting for people to ask questions to see how she trains herself. Mm. And it's funny because on Friday, Saturday, she was making mistakes that she's now not making anymore, right? So it's, it's moving along very, very quickly. And I think as soon as those implementation times go down to days instead of weeks or months or even years, that's the time when it will really become part of our mainstream uh, configurations. Okay, so you mentioned Kate. Yep. I heard it through the grapevine that there's another uh, lady that we should talk about. Barbie? <laughs> there, well, so I started with Barbie, yeah. So the, uh, about three years ago, Mattel came out with Barbie. Mm -hmm. And uh, they came out with Barbie, which they, of course, had for a long time. But they came out with a Barbie that was supported by an AI library conversational library somewhere in a data center. And I always say Oregon, I'm not even sure that that's true. But, um, and I, I realized that if that is happening, then I get the following scenario to play. And at that time, my daughter was 14 years old, a little bit too old maybe for Barbies, but still. So I was sitting at home and I had a, one of her Barbies in my hand and I thought, my God, this will come into our household now. This doll will be able to talk to kids when they come home from school and they have a conversation and that system will learn from the conversations that they're having. Mm -hmm. 
So I just imagine the following scenarios where my daughter comes home, she walks into her room, slams the door, and Barbie says, how are you today? And she says, I'm not good today. I had an F for this, and I was bullied by this. Mm. And I would not be part of that conversation, and uh, I wouldn't understand that. The only thing I know is that there's some bad sentiment on her side because of the slamming of the door. And I felt that if that is happening, AI will be coming into our households, then we better pay attention to it, and we better pay attention in such a way that we blend AI into the humanity of what we are all about, right? So that's, that's what we started focusing on. And I did travel around with the Barbie for a while, and, and I think that the, the most the, the funny story about the fact is that I went to our conference in Miami that time, so it's three years ago, and uh, in a rush to the airport, I wanted to take a Barbie as a, as a prop for my presentation. It was the first time talking about a Barbie. I couldn't find one in my daughter's room, so I went to my son's room where I found one <laughs> with like burned off hair and stuff like that. <laughs> I put it in my suitcase, went through TSA, and TSA stops me and opens my suitcase and takes out this naked, <laughs> like okay. uh, brutalized Barbie and asks, whose Barbie is this? And this is where you're like, okay. So it was frowned upon, let's put it like that. Yeah. So, uh, that's what the Barbie story was all about. Wow. So. Well, I'm glad so. that you made it through. I'm assuming I they let you through. They, they <laughs> made me the laughing stock of the entire queue, and a lot, a lot of people had a lot of laughs. And there were actually two customers that later were at the conference, and now we understand <laughs> what this was all about. So. Very so nice. So. <laughs> Thank you for telling me. You're story. very welcome. Okay, so two years ago, mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of talk about Alexa and Google sure. Home when it came to uh, really customer experience from a B2B perspective. Right. But it's changed, at least to me, it seems to have changed dramatically. What is your uh, perception of what's going on? It has, it has. The, uh, actually, at that same conference in Miami, we did show our Alexa integration three years ago. So we were running a conversation with Alexa uh, on my bank account. So I was transferring mm -hmm. money. I was actually bought a, what do you do in Miami, right? You buy a ship, so I bought a yacht. Uh, so we saw the future of what that would be. And actually, the 12 months following, we were a little bit disappointed by the penetration of these devices and the ability of these devices to really have a conversational approach to it. Right? It was a really a bit of a fire question, get an answer, and mm -hmm. it's kind of kept going back and forth. I think now we're moving to a world where these devices are becoming conversational, and it's not only about Alexa and Google Home, right? It's about cars that you are able to talk to. It's about, I would assume, setup boxes in the future, smart fridges, any sensor-derived piece of information. Uh, I still dream of the world where I can walk into my house and say, hi, house, this is what I would really be looking forward to. Can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? And we're not there, but the experience is moving towards these devices, moving towards that world, away from the enterprise control, mm -hmm. which I think is a good thing because consumers will get control over their own experience and define where they want to go with it. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm pleased that this is happening. I'm also pleased at the fact that it's still somewhat fragmented. So you need systems that allow you to make sense of it all. And Genesis is just uniquely positioned to do exactly that. Yeah, I was going to sort of segue into you know what you are, uh, or what kind of uh, the B to C kind of uh, usage of these different systems is making, uh, giving more power to consumers, and those consumers are also folks that work in business enterprises. Yeah. Uh, how are those customer experiences, those consumer experiences, starting to play a role in how? things are going to be done or need to be done or they're demanding to be done uh, in the uh, enterprise? That's a good question. Uh, I think the enterprise has always been somewhat lagging in adoption of, of consumer uh, savvy technology, right? Uh, and I think you see is a really good example of that. I think that the way that you see has developed within the enterprise would have been burned long time ago by the way consumers are actually talking to each other. 
I think that Slack is the only one that kind of started stepping into that a little bit. Mm. Uh, but it's still, it's a very fragmented, underwhelming world as far as I'm concerned, and not really providing its promise to, uh, to the masses. Um, so it is a bit surprising to see the lack of adoption within the enterprise to take those smart assistants, or just in general, right, the ability to have a traditional messaging channel which consumers are using all over the place, and I am doing it. I'm, I'm using WhatsApp with my parents, and they're mm -hmm. in, the a in their 80s. So this is a very normal channel, and it's very late for enterprises to actually adopt it. We're very email-focused still, I think. And uh, you see more and more cloud software coming into the actual enterprise, mm -hmm. but it's still a, a, a somewhat traditional world that, uh, that has some, some silos that need to be broken down. Yeah, it seems like <coughs> what I'm seeing is these tools like uh, these different smart assistants, voice assistants, they're allowing uh, consumers at least to mm -hmm. use natural language to get things done and request services or get information. And the more comfortable they get with that dynamic, mm -hmm. uh, it seems like, and I've kind of seen a stat around, a lot of companies that are spending, let's say the, the traditional spending is about 80% spending to help their agents do their job. Right. About another 20% around allowing the end users to start to do get more of their right. answers fulfilled by giving them the power to right. these tools. But in the next five or six years or so, that starts to look like it's going to shift and there's going to be even more of that budget spent on allowing tools for self-service tools. <laughs> it's a so we're not we're not really that's not it's not necessarily our industry, but it's okay. an interesting adjacency. The um, I, I was talking this morning about uh, actually my teenage kids, right? If you see the tools that they are using today, which are, by the way, all cloud-based, they don't really like applications anymore. They're much more focused on, on the ability for their devices to communicate and allow them in within context do what they're doing and what they're, what they're trying to, to, uh, uh, to get as a result. Um, they're 16 and 17 years old, but right now the oldest generation Z person is turning 25. Oh. Right, so they're coming into the workplace. And they are looking at tools that are very, very different than what we grew up with, right? So my daughter, for instance, does all her homework on, a, on an iPad. And wow. uh, every piece of homework that she does, I have real-time insight into. So she's very used to be measured in real time. And uh, we know exactly when she did a test what she scored. And yeah. I was just imagining that back in my day, if my parents would have known the way I built <laughs> up my curriculum throughout the year, it would have been a disaster. <laughs> so they have changed their approach quite a bit. And I think that that mentality and that tool set and the ability to be okay with that real-time monitoring, that real-time comparison constantly with other people. But at the same time, having the tools to work in the cloud and, and do cloud business uh, is gonna be very normal for that generation. So when we then confront them with tools like, for instance, Excel as a spreadsheet application, they will look at that and frown upon it. I'm mm. sure about it. Right, so that's not what they wanna use. So it's a very video, photo-oriented uh, domain and environment that is all very seamless in the applications or the, uh, the tools that they use to do their job. Which is for us interesting because if we think about those people coming into the contact center domain, right. looking at the desktops that we now provide, uh, we'll probably have like multi-demographic desktops that we need to start working on, which is an ability to support a 25-year-old at the same time a 55-year-old that will look for a different tool set and is used to using different tools as well. Uh, I'm fairly sure that the next generation will be very easy, and uh, we see it today already, uh, to leverage real-time information as it pops up because of the changing of the circumstances where if you provide that to my generation, myself, it's really difficult. I tried to be an agent. I had somebody else needed next to me to do the buttons. It's, it's really complex. Wow. And that will only increase. And uh, when I look at 10 years from now, I think that agents will get questions that they just never answered before. And uh, so their job is going to be to entrepreneur uh, with that knowledge. 
to find the answers to questions and probably then build it into a bot or a microbot that they can expose and test to see whether this is really the answer, right? So they're gonna be almost crowdsourcing answers into a community of customers that might be struggling with the same thing. So that world is gonna be incredibly interesting and but very different than what it is today. So how important is the employee experience going to be to the delivering customer experience going forward? Absolutely crucial. Yeah. The, uh, I think one of the biggest benefits that we see right now with machine learning or AI capabilities is the ability to let go of somewhat constraining paradigms like, like queuing and routing and service level elements that are still dictating a lot of the experience, right? So there's still a lot of people that believe that if I get a customer in my queue, I've got about 20 seconds to get them to a target. Uh, which is nonsense. I think that the, the better play would be to say, you know, I'm going to let go of all these, these restrictions of, of non-variable volumes to make them totally variable and flexible. And I'm going to say, I've got a thousand customers, and I've got a hundred agents. Mm. So who are the hundred people that I really need to talk to right now? Then that's what I want my humans to do. Instead of having the first come out of the queue, I want to change my address. Oh, well, there you go. And the second one, I want to do a payment. Oh, well, there you go. The number 100, I want to change my address again. So I got suddenly 100 people that are tied up doing stuff that I'm sure a bot will do much better. I'd rather focus on the people if I've got somebody in my queue that is really upset. Or uh, I am actually thinking about leaving you as a company. Or I want to buy something. I'm totally happy because I just got married, so I want to merge my... Those are the things that you want to talk to. Those are the people you want to have, right? Because yeah. that's where you can derive a better outcome to have a human talk to it. Address change, a bot should be much better in that because they will like it, because it's replication of work. They will not make mistakes like humans will. Grumpiness, etc. doesn't matter. The only added value a human could have is the fact, hey, I was born there, or I lived there, mm -hmm. or I know that neighborhood. It's lovely, you should go buy your milk there, right? That's what a human can add. I actually think that's where bots can be empathetic to what customers are looking for. That's how you take a user or a person and train the bot to actually do that as well. So I think it's going to be a great experience for agents. And I also think that the value of agents and the way they will be rewarded is going to go up. And uh, I think that's just a good thing because that will make it a much more interesting job to do. I love that the you threw empathy in there because I think a lot of, a lot of times um, that's where humans can shine. Yeah. And, and what are there any areas, you know, when you look at AI and a lot of times there's, there is some pushback with the folks who feel like, hey, is my job going to be mm -hmm. You know, and jeopardy here, but do you see, like you said, AI being able to do things uh, much more efficiently, but that allows, you know, human agents to actually showcase their empathy yeah. in, in other aspects? I think that's the opportunity that we have, is to, to leverage the potential of the human for the interactions where it matters most, right. Right? so make those moments really count, actually, the theme of the conference. Um, and I strongly believe, and I also believe in the fact that the there are certain elements that are inherently human. Like we live in a human economy, people make human buying decisions. Uh, there are elements that a bot will struggle to do, which is true empathy. But there's also white lies or understanding irony, sarcasm, uh, the ability to relate back to the future or the past that you had with something that is just born into you, right? I always use the example of, uh, of Franz Kafka. Mm -hmm. uh, for the people that read Franz Kafka, that's a utterly depressing experience, right? <laughs> if you read it in English, it's actually a little bit better than when you read it in German because it's totally depressing. <laughs> but he made those books and he wrote those books that we now consider art based on his suffering, right? So that mm -hmm. what, he, what he experienced through life. So when I, people ask me, can AI uh, produce art? I think it can because art is always at the eye of the beholder. But can it truly be an artist? I think I struggle with that because I don't think AI will always will have this suffering element to go through life and understand what this all means and then expose it into the art that we now see. 
So I think that's where the difference is. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that the future might be darn interesting when you look at 10, 20 years from now. I think skills like art and, and languages and elements like that, although speech is a very commoditized world, I do think that those skills will become more and more relevant in the future of our industries, which I'm excited about because those are skills that are really yeah. talking about society as a whole. So there, there is no artificial empathy on the horizon, it's artificial intelligence. I think there's art artificial empathy on the horizon. Really? So okay. Yeah, I, I, I have no reason not to believe that. I would assume bots will be coding for us very soon, so we will stop coding. Uh, I, I think they will believe and understand that you can learn empathy to a certain extent. Um, if you look at the Big Bang Theory, which just finished, uh, uh, even the, the, the main character there learned how to be empathetic, <laughs> which he didn't <laughs> really have in his own, right? So <laughs> I think that AI and bots can do that too. Well, if Sheldon so can do it, why not? Exactly, right? which <laughs> is uh, he's the most robotic person uh, ever seen. So, no, but I do think that, uh, all joking aside, I do think that AI will learn to be more, uh, have a better understanding of empathy, to, based on the sheer amount of data, understand irony when it happens. Uh, we, we struggled tremendously for a long time with a double negative, right? So, uh, yay, awesome. Uh, which could be negative and a positive statement. So we figured that out. So I don't have any reason not to believe that AI will not be able to do that and produce it. I do still think that being and talking to a human when you're in, in real stress or you need something completely different or you have a question that just nobody has ever answered, that there's always a human edge, a human element that will make this experience memorable and a wow mm -hmm. one. And the ones that you will talk to when you talk about, about experiences with other people. And I think that's really important because as a CMO, I see it myself, right? Product positioning price, it's all very similar to what other parties are doing, mm -hmm. especially in the B2C world. So the experience that you are able to give to your customers in a world where fake news is, is, a, is a big thing is incredibly important. And, and uh, some brands are fantastically good in it. And uh, those are the brands that we should learn from because most of those brands that are very good in it actually are very trusted at the same time, mm. which is interesting to see, right? So, and trust, again, is a very human emotion. It's very difficult to tell an AI bot what trust is all about and teach them that. Will they learn? Probably, probably. I have no reason not to believe that. I also believe that somewhere down the road we'll all work shorter hours because AI was taking care of our tasks that we find menial and boring. Is that, uh, it sounds like that could be a good thing, but some folks may be threatened by that. I think some people will be threatened by it. I think that the, uh, so I'm a lawyer from origin, and I think that every job you can explain in less than 140 characters, to use the <laughs> Twitter analogy, will be taken over by, uh, wow. by uh, AI version. That's why I went into marketing, so nobody can explain <laughs> that. Uh, but I do think that there are some jobs that will, will change quite a bit. Um, and, and for instance, I come from a country where the, the legal uh, uh, way to go into court is very written, right? So there's not a lot of uh, acting in court where you defend somebody and accuse somebody. That's not happening. It's, it's all written back and forth between. And I think AI will be very good in that because it will learn very quickly from all these data sets of, of jurisprudence that it's using. So I think that those jobs will change quite a bit. And I think a lot of these tasks will be automatable and will be automated when they're automatable. Right? The same is, is applying to almost every job that we have. And I do think it's a good thing because there are things in my job that I'd rather have automated so I can focus on other things and do other things better and do them more often. So I think that in, in the end game, it would be a good thing. I think AI will take jobs, but it will generate more. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I look at it, and it will mean that some people that uh, are in that domain that where jobs are being automated will find other opportunities in the world that AI is creating for them. So, and I think that's, that's a good thing. What's the biggest challenge you see your Genesis customers facing in this area? 
I think a lot of Genesis customers, customers in general or enterprise that are trying to deploy it are afraid to make mistakes and, and mm -hmm. be the laughing stock of society. And, and it's a difficult one, right? The, you will bound to make mistakes. And, and as I said in the beginning, this is a hilarious moment to be in this industry because you see mistakes everywhere. The companies that are daring enough to make those mistakes and stand up for them and correct them, I think will be the ones that will be able to, to deploy very quickly. Uh, so that's one. Uh, the second one, I think that a lot of customers that are now looking at AI are thinking about it in a bespoke way. Mm. So they take one application or they automate what they already automated in the past, and I think that's a mistake. I think you need to be really looking at, okay, this is the capability that it brings to me. What is a pragmatic use case that I have that I can execute with this while it's still sitting within my orchestrated environment of experiences? Uh, we see a lot of bots that are just bespoke, and if something goes wrong, there's no real safety net, right? So. And a safety net is not good enough to just add a human to the conversation. It needs to be an automatically orchestrated blending of that experience. Uh, I think that's the, the bespoke nature of a lot of these, by the way, also vendors that do bespoke little things, is going to be a hindrance. And it means that you have multiplications of your data sets. It means it's very difficult to tune and manage your algorithm. So mm -hmm. I am concerned about that and people that fall into the trap of doing little bespoke things that they can't get out of anymore. So I think you need to be thinking about the bigger way to look at it, but at the same time be pragmatic about the outcomes and the use case that you wanna that you wanna supply. So that I think that's the biggest challenge. And I think that the there's, a, there's angst and anxiety about it to a certain extent. You're right. So one of the most asked questions at Enterprise Connect last year was will AI take my job? You, you just noticed it, the, the way that people were asking questions about it. And I think that's an angst and anxiety we need to transfer into excitement about what it could do and what it would allow humans to do and be. And I think that will be a great thing. This has been great. Um, Thank you. What are some of the key things coming out of the conference that you want your customers to walk away with? Well, so I want them to know and realize that we understand AI is a river that flows through our products and how it can benefit them. So if you want to be different and you dare to be different, then let us help you be different. I think we do that really well. We've proven it in the past and we're proving it right now. We are a company that is just happily disrupting itself and we are very happy to help customers do the same thing. That's one. Uh, I think the second thing that customers, I hope, walk away with is that it, cloud is not a, a, a thing anymore, right? So cloud is a very normal part of the ability to facilitate use cases like that. And, and we, I think we simplified our message just to make it more logical for everybody, whether you're on-prem or in a hybrid mode or in cloud, to consume that innovation. And, and that you are part of the Genesis family, part of the Genesis cloud. As a customer going forward, you can consume that innovation regardless of where you are. I think that's an important part as well. And last but not least, I think that one of the main messages as well is that it's time for next generation education. Mm. Uh, educating other people, educating agents for instance, and educating people on the, the, for instance, AI ethics and elements like that, which are a new part of our industry, which I think are equally important as the technology that we bring. Uh, by building a much larger community of, of agents, of supervisors, of administrators, of people that work with Genesis, including our developers by Genesis Beyond. So that's an exciting domain and an exciting uh, new step in our, in our future as well. Those are the three things. Thanks for your time. Thank you for the interview. It was a pleasure. Thanks.